This is John Jantz, author of The Self-Reliant Entrepreneur, 366 Daily Meditations to Feed Your Soul and Grow Your Business, and you are listening to The Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to The Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host. Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by Forbes as one of 11 smart podcasts that will keep you in the know, and named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. My goal for this podcast is to help us both keep up with the latest ideas in the quickly changing field of modern marketing and sales. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes at Marketing bookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or some other helpful resource that I know of for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction and save you time. This show is a labor of love that I do in my spare time. My day job is running a marketing agency where we work with manufacturers to help them grow. If that sounds like your company and you're serious about growth, check out our guide to lead generation for manufacturers on our website, salesartillery.com, or Google lead generation for manufacturers, and you'll find the guide atop the organic results. Now, the number one worry I hear from listeners is that they feel they aren't reading enough books to be more successful. So, special thanks to this episode's sponsor, Blinkist, which is an app that takes the key insights from the best nonfiction books and distills them into a format that you can read or listen to in just a few minutes on your smartphone. Several of the books featured on the Marketing Book Podcast are on Blinkist. You can sign up for free at Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast. Blinkist is spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. And if you opt for the paid version, you'll get an additional 20% off, but only if you go to Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast. I also have a link to it at MarketingBookPodcast.com. And now, on with the show. Today, we welcome John Jantz back to the Marketing Book Podcast, talk about his new book, The Self-Reliant Entrepreneur, 366 Daily Meditations to Feed Your Soul and Grow Your Business, published by Wiley. John Jantz has owned a business for almost three decades. And while it may appear he knows what he's talking about, he is simply observing and documenting the entrepreneurial condition through his own unique journey. He's the best-selling author of Duct Tape Marketing, Duct Tape Selling, SEO for Growth, and The Referral Engine, among others. His works have been translated into 10 languages, and his writing has appeared in publications such as Inc. and Entrepreneur Magazine. He lives with his wife in Kansas City, Missouri, and at 8,689 feet above sea level in Coral Creek Canyon in Colorado. John, congratulations on the self-reliant entrepreneur, and welcome back to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you so much. You have been doing this for a while. I think, is this my fourth time on the show? It is, and... uh, Clearly, John is reading my screen here because uh, after this uh, interview, there will be a special induction ceremony into a very, very exclusive club, which is the Marketing Book Podcast Four Timers Club. And there's only two other authors that are in that, and there have been hundreds on the show. So, uh, John Jantz, respect. 
I'm going to have to write another book, clearly. <laughs> well, I'm actually, be, I haven't. In a club of one. Yes, yes. Well, you know, I never did interview you about duct tape marketing. So I guess if you ever update that again. Uh, we're 2020. Uh, it's coming. Seriously? Seriously. Oh, man. You heard it here first, folks. That's a marketing book podcast exclusive. Well, let me clear the decks because, wow, then you will be in the five timers club, which uh, currently only uh, one person is in. All right. So, uh, but he's, I'm interviewing him um, later this week. So he's going to move to six. So, I mean, the, it never ends, John Jance. You know, it's, it's, it's a treadmill sure. you I'm authors sure are on. I'm not sure I've got a whole bunch of more books in me. Well, anyway, well, it's all about how many times you come on this show. So in other words, I've now interviewed authors twice about the same book when a second edition came out that I was crazy about. So all you have to do is just update one of your books and and you're in. You're in. And as I like to say, you will be uh, getting uh, half-price drinks at watering holes in the Kansas City uh, area that are offering half-price drinks, as well as uh, uh, discounts at restaurants that are offering discounts. Well, So you're welcome. That is awesome. You know, I should be, uh, we have a mutual friend, David Merriman Scott, and I think he's updated new rules to marketing and PA or PR about nine times. So you've probably had him on. He has. And when you're the marketing book podcast host, you keep track of trivia, just like a sports reporter does. And I know that I interviewed him about his sixth edition in 2017. His seventh is coming out in 2020. And I, fingers crossed, and with the good vibes from the listeners, I'll be able to interview him about that one. Because that book, based on what I have seen, his sixth edition was 394 pages. And this next one's going to be 480 pages. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> good, good, good on him. I know that my uh, book that we're going to talk about eventually today yeah. is, uh, is 400 pages. And I thought that was, you know, I thought that was overdoing it. But, you know, I signed up for it because about when I was writing this book, it's a daily, as you know. And so, you know, it was 366 pages no matter what. Right. <laughs> so, right. Uh, so uh, and I figured that out about March, you know, or I probably wouldn't have done this. But, you know, you had to you had to get started. And it was kind of a forcing function, as Aaron Ross likes to talk about. And, yeah. uh, and I'm glad you did. And I first heard about this about two years ago at Content Marketing World, where I was talking to you just before you were going to present. And of course, as I, I said to you, as I say to a lot of authors that I get to meet in person, any more books coming up? And you yeah. said, yeah, but I don't know. This is really going to be different. And you told me about this book, and I just I was blown away by the concept. I think the listener will be too. But I also have to say that recently I saw a picture somebody posted on social media. They were flying across the Atlantic, I think, and on the screen on the back of their the seat in front of them on the airplane, somebody was watching John Jantz. It was like a a video. Uh, what was that? Yeah. So, you know how they have the little airplane, you know, TVs, especially on, on transatlantic flights or, or ones that go across the to to other continents. And I have done about eight courses for LinkedIn learning, you know, which was purchased. It was actually lynda.com was purchased by LinkedIn learning and, uh, or LinkedIn and branded as LinkedIn learning. And so, uh, apparently they, they have that as an option on uh, certain uh, airlines as you can watch, LinkedIn courses and and there are thousands of them. So uh, I don't know how this person stumbled onto to one of mine, but uh, they sent me a screen capture and uh, it, it was kind of fun. For some reason, I think it might have been Tim Hughes, the author of Smarketing. Maybe he was going home to to the UK. But then, of course, I saw that and I couldn't resist. I said, "There's no escaping John Jance," and that's that's, right. that's even truer now because John Jance, and we're going to explain why 
this book, now you've seared yourself into my daily routine. Mm. So I get up and uh, not every day, but most days, one of the things I do is I try to look at uh, Ryan Holiday's The Daily Stoic. Yeah. And now this is next to it. So it's like, it's a it's a bug that bites. So it's well, Ryan uh, and I are, are good friends, and in fact, uh, we're introduced because we have the same literary agent, uh, a gentleman by the name of Steve Hanselman. And so it was actually Steve's idea for Ryan to write that book, and he's been bugging me to write a similar format. Uh, so it'd be interesting if you want to do a little scientific research. I'd love to hear after a month or so how they sort of compare and contrast. It'd be okay. Kind of- because there are some similarities, but I think there are some distinct differences as well. And it'd be kind of fun, you know, somebody who reads as much as you to, to kind of get your take. Happy to. In fact, I've got a quote here. Ryan Holiday said, this book is a book that deserves a spot in every entrepreneur's morning routine. So let me just quote from uh, one part and then get into the questions. You write, in this book, I invite you to take inspiration from a renegade minister a handyman turned political activist and naturalist, and an innovative educator and early feminist voice, though they may seem at first an odd collection of mentors to guide today's entrepreneur. Each of these sources of inspiration produced their primary body of literary work in the mid-1800s, during a time that many cite as America's first period of a truly spirited counterculture. Speaking of the period, often referred to as American Transcendentalism, a brief time that experienced its heyday just prior to the American Civil War and left a lasting impact on American literature, religion, philosophy, art, political activism, social thought, and as I propose in this work, a goldmine for today's enlightened entrepreneur. It doesn't matter what you call this point of view or even what you call yourself. You can possess the spirit of self-reliance and independence no matter your profession or job title. Being an entrepreneur is as much about who you choose to be as what you choose to do for a living. So, John, explain the structure of the book. Sure. So it is a daily book. So every day, just like a calendar, you got January 1st and January 2nd, and it's a page a day. Um, I have taken, as you referenced there, uh, readings from a whole vein of literature that was written in the mid-19th century. Um, the, the the folks that I was referencing there in the very beginning were Ralph Waldo Emerson, uh, Henry David Thoreau, and Margaret Fuller. Um, were the three people that I was describing uh, as people you may not know, or at least right. not know in that context. So I take a reading from from works in that period, some which people would be familiar with, some which they won't be familiar with at all because I went very deep. Um, then I add 100, 150 words myself uh, that, that is meant to bring some context or um, or relevance for today's entrepreneur. I'm buyer beware. I am I'm sharing my experience and how I've experienced being an entrepreneur. And then uh, the probably the hardest part for a lot of people is I leave you then with a question that at least some days uh, I, I hope really challenges you to think a little bit about. Well, I don't have the answer to that question, or I should have the answer to that question. Um, let me think about that. So. This book is, um, Seth Godin uh, called it, not, it's not a book book, it's a workbook, um, meaning that it's kind of a come to it every day, almost view it as a practice or a habit uh, to, to really kind of feed your soul a little bit before you go out, go out there and get uh, knocked around by the world. Right. Seth Godin said, it's a daily workbook designed to challenge you to focus on the hard part, finding work that matters. John's prompts are a masterwork. And for me, each page, the challenge question, man, does that linger. 
<laughs> yeah, and that's that's actually the idea. Sometimes you'll have an immediate answer. There's, in fact, I even added two lines. That if you're one of those people that can stand to write in books, <laughs> that that you can actually maybe make some notes there or, or jot some thoughts there right then as you're reading it. But I find the same thing that even if I don't have the answer to that question. It sort of plants itself in your subconscious, yes. I think. And and maybe then like throughout the day, you start kind of thinking, oh, maybe that's how that shows up, you know, in my life. Or maybe that doesn't serve me as well, you know, as I thought. So for some people, there's actually, I don't want to say dread, but there's actually a little fear of those questions. And I think it's because, you know, they are made uh, to make you think. Right. And you'd rather get to work and just start doing busy work rather than have to think. So, well played, good sir. (laughs) So, let's give the listener uh, an example. This episode will publish on November 15th, 2019. So, I was wondering if you could share the reading from November 15th. So, let me get to November 15th. I have my handy copy here. And um, for those, of course, that... uh, Obviously, this is our listening, so you don't get the visual of this. But uh, I convinced my publisher to put a handy little ribbon uh, in the in the book. So yes, you mark your place. I've always wanted a ribbon in my book. Yes, and mine already is marked with tomorrow mornings, <laughs> so it's <laughs> nice. working. Yeah. All right. So every day starts with a title, and then the meditation or reading from the literature, then my thoughts, and then your challenge question. So I'll go through those four parts. November fifteenth. Owning your legacy. A few fine essays do not float a person into immortality, but the generous character, the heart sweet in all excesses and under all chances, is a spectacle too beautiful and too rare to be easily forgotten. A person is better than many books. Even a person who is not immaculate may have more virtuous influence than the discreetest saint. Let us remember how fondly the old painters lingered round the story of Magdalene. That's from George William Curtis, Thackeray in America, the Oxford Book of American Essays uh, from 1914. Entrepreneurs rarely think about something as vague as legacy as they start their journey. And there's a good reason. Legacy isn't a section of a business plan. It's what happens when you share your passion, take care of yourself and your family, and remain true to your values. It's what happens because you've spent your time raising others up. It's what happens because you've shown the real you in every circumstance. It's what happens because you spent your days working for what you believe in. Why think about this now? Because you're writing it every day anyway. Your challenge question? What is the one thing you want to be known for most. Are you living it? Wow. There you go again, making me think. I hate that. <laughs> no, that's that's terrific. So, John, let me ask what's probably the stupidest question you may have gotten in any of the interviews you've done about this book. What exactly is a self-reliant <laughs> entrepreneur? Aren't they all self-reliant, or, or, or are you saying they need to be? I'm definitely saying they need to be. Um, I mean, you know, if you Google, here's part of the challenge. If you Google the term self-reliant, you'll find uh, some websites that teach you how to build your own home and make your own furniture and, and, you know, butcher your hog (laughs) yourself and, or go it alone, you know, kind of this thing that you don't need to depend on anyone. And I want to suggest it's actually substantially different, maybe the opposite of that. 
for me, the idea of, of self-reliance is that you come to trust yourself so fully that you no longer are controlled or reliant <laughs> on what other people think or many, many of the other things that you have no control over. When you come to that level of trust, I think you get to focus on the only things that you can control, uh, how you show up and then of course how you respond to everything that happens to you you know and all around you throughout the day so this doesn't mean that you're going to go it alone and in fact i use the analogy all the time uh, it's more like the trees in the forest you know every single one of them is unique they sway in the wind to protect each other their canopies don't get into each other's canopies but you look at the roots on the ground and they're all interwoven and they're feeding each other and nourishing each other and, and getting support and help from each other. So our whole job, again, is to go back to this idea of trust is to trust ourselves enough to, to realize that, that our, you know, our job in life is, is to see our life as a work in progress. Right. So what would be an example of someone who is, uh, as you mentioned at the very beginning, they're not quite uh, they're they're relying on things that they can't control. Well, I think there's lots of uh, of entrepreneurs. There's kind of two ways that shows up. Um, we have a lot of uh, other people have a lot of control over over how we think or what we pursue, what opportunities we might go after. I mean, how many entrepreneurs have been told they're crazy? <laughs> you know that they they shouldn't do that. They should keep their job that they have. I mean, all the all the things that kind of keep us from maybe following. What we eventually hopefully come to realize is following our heart and our, our you know, our true path. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's, you know, that's a lot of what, what not only holds people back, but, but makes them kind of doubt themselves, makes them kind of, you know, fear the unknown. So th- that's probably th- those elements um, are probably the greatest cause of stress. I think that a lot of entrepreneurs feel, but then there's a whole lot of things that, we're never going to be able to control. I kind of feel like there's three buckets. We have the other people's stuff and we have our stuff. And then we have kind of the, the nature or the, the God stuff, you know, is it going to rain tomorrow? <laughs> Am I going to get this sale? I mean, we may be able to uh, try to influence how some of those things come up, but, but we need to let go of, you know, being dependent on it. No, it has to work this way or it has to work that way. Because I think what happens ultimately and, and and again, this is said through the lens of hindsight is I think we cut a lot of opportunities off by assuming, no, it has to go this certain way rather than saying, wow, it didn't work this way. What was that here to teach me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as somebody who has uh, done it wrong consistently over <laughs> over time, I know exactly what you're talking about. So it, it might even be clearer to me, but you know, it also occurs to me that it's not just entrepreneurs. This could be anybody listening who has a job maybe as a marketer, as a sales manager, a small business, uh, you know, uh, something else where they're not necessarily the creator, the, the, the founder of that company. And they, on a, daily bez- on a daily basis, are having to go off and go in certain directions, advocate for certain ideas, uh, decisions that a company needs to make. I agree completely. And I think in some cases, um, you know, you, you read that part of the intro. I mean, I just feel like the idea of an entrepreneur is really more about, you know, your spirit rather than your, your job title. Yes. Kind of, you know, if you, if you aim to make 
a difference. If you aim to have some, you know, meaning in what you're doing, uh, I, I consider that to be an entrepreneurial thinking. So, you know, if you are stuck in a job that doesn't feed you, if you are working for a company that you don't believe in what they do, then I think you're probably kind of cutting off your ability to experience uh, joy and happiness to its fullest. And, and so, this book really, I think, encourages that kind of mindset. And d- does that mean you need to quit your job and go find something else to do? Uh, maybe, but it, but it also may mean that you have to rethink, you know, your relationship with what it is that you're doing for a living. Right, right. We're going to take a break here so I can tell you more about how Blinkist might be the answer to one of your biggest worries. As I mentioned earlier, the number one worry I hear from listeners is that they feel they aren't reading enough books to keep up and be more successful, but there's only so much time and you need to manage it carefully. And unless you're, say, the host of the Marketing Book Podcast, you may not be set up to read a book every week. That's where Blinkist can really be a time saver and a career booster. Blinkist is a smartphone app that takes the key insights from over 3,000 best-selling nonfiction books and distills them into a format that you can read or listen to in just 15 minutes or less. Instead of having to wade through hundreds of pages of a book, spending hours reading each book like I do every week, you can go through two books in 30 minutes. And the books that are on Blinkist are from top-notch authors, many of whom have been guests on the Marketing Book Podcast, including Seth Godin, Guy Kawasaki, Robert Cialdini, Philip Kotler, David Merriman Scott, Ann Hanley, Bob Berg, John Jantz, Jonah Berger, Jill Conrath, Jeb Blunt, and many, many more, over 40 authors who have been on the show. Blinkist has been selected as one of the best apps by Forbes, the New York Times, and BuzzFeed, amongst others, and it's used by over 10 million people. Right now, Blinkist has a special offer for Marketing Book Podcast listeners. Go to Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast right now, today, to start your free trial or get 20% off your yearly plan when you join. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast to start your free trial or get 20% off your yearly plan. And there's no risk because there's a free seven-day trial. Go to Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast. And that means you're going to be letting them know that you support the Marketing Book Podcast and that you want that discount. You'll get the free version or 20% off your annual plan. I also have a link to it at MarketingBookPodcast.com. It's a very smart investment in your success. And now... Back to the show. So let's go back to uh, talk about this uh, a bit about American transcendentalism. So you you talked that this was a period when America's literary voice finally broke free of the influence of other uh, cultures. What, what what was going on there? What was it about this era that you you find so relevant for today's world? Well, to, to, you know, America had only been a country for um, about 100 years, um, not even quite 100 years at, at this point. And uh, obviously, very in, you know, European influence was still, you know, very much felt in many of the arts and certainly in literature. But I think what happened that, that kind of caused this breakout is you think about 1850, we were on the cusp of the Civil War. Women were marching in the streets for the right to vote. Um, we were trying to abolish slavery. So, I mean, this was a this was a very kind of crazy period in American history. And, and I call it kind of the first counterculture. This is when all of a sudden a lot of folks said, you know what, how we got out of here is not how we're going to get out of here. Um, you know, we don't have to listen to our preacher or our parents or the politicians. We need to start thinking for ourselves. Some of the literature was overt. Um, Thoreau, 
you know, Emerson's self-reliance, which I, you know, borrow uh, heavily on for the title of this book. Those, you know, those were people that were preaching and teaching this idea of of self-reliance and and bringing in, you know, kind of a greater idea of how it is uh, to, to live and how it is to make your living. But if you look at, and as I started to dig in, even the fiction of that time, Scarlet Letter and Moby Dick and and Little Women, um, the the protagonist. It was the first time that the protagonist in American literature was very self reliant as well. I'm going to do me, you know. I have to I have to do what's true to my heart. So even though they weren't really teaching that necessarily, if, if you look into kind of the themes that that started showing up for the first time, I mean, it it just is uh, universal across all of the literature. And I still think today it's some of the best entrepreneurial advice and and thinking and and characters uh, that that really have ever been created. And yet so many of these things are really not radical now. Yeah, not at all now. (laughs) But certainly, you know, can you imagine, you know, Ralph Waldo Emerson standing in the pulpit uh, of an 1840 Calvinist, you know, Puritan church saying, you know, we're all connected by spirit and we're embodied with a soul that allows us to really connect directly to, you know, whatever it is we call God. I mean, these were, as you said, pretty standard, not, I mean, not accepted in every circle, but, but certainly not. Um, I think a lot of people would agree with many of the elements, but at the time uh, he was kicked out of the church actually uh, for first, you know, having such uh, heretical ideas. Yeah. And it also makes me wonder about, you know, I often hear that Americans have such an authority problem. <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder if uh, that was part of it or if that incited it. But speaking of authority problems, and uh, I'm an entrepreneur, and yes, I do have an authority problem. You talk about there's an undeniable element of a counterculture or even internal disobedience in most entrepreneurs. <laughs> talk about that. Well, you know, again, I was a little nod to Thoreau's civil disobedience, which yeah. was one of the probably the out of the era, probably from a political standpoint, one of the most notable um, documents that came out of that era. Uh, but I, I just think that that a lot of entrepreneurs, I mean, we start stuff because stuff's broken. It doesn't work. For we're us. not happy with something. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so, and, and, you know, nine times out of 10, we're creating something out of nothing, you know, it didn't exist before. And so I just think you've got to be, you know, I, I reference a, a, a letters of the Rue Morgue by Poe, um, in, in one of the readings. And, and there is definitely a crazy, you know, to a lot of entrepreneurs that, again, I think is a healthy, is a welcome, is how stuff gets done. Um, but not everybody understands it. Yeah. So, John, in terms of how you take us through the year, I wonder if you could talk about that. Now, what you say is that regardless of when you get this book, start with that day, and then you'll just pick it up in the following year. But can you talk about what your thinking was in terms of the organization, because you've broken the year down into four parts, and then within each one is is uh, the individual month, and each month means it touches on a certain theme. Yeah, so about four years ago, I wrote a blog post, and I, I maybe didn't realize it at the time, but that was the sort of the seed of this book. Um, and, and it was really just an observation that I'd had that, that I, you know, as you noted, I've been doing this for almost 30 years. And I, I've seen stages that I've gone through. And of course, writing a, a, a calendar-based book, I talk about those stages as seasons. It's a metaphor that that certainly works. But I think, I think there's also a lot of validity to it. Whenever I've started a new aspect, a new book, you know, a new project, um, a, a new offering of some type, I always feel like 
you know, not everyone succeeds, but but the ones that really do succeed, I always feel like kind of go through <laughs> these seasons of of you know planning and and discovery and evolving and growing. Um, and I think there's actually some traits or characteristics to those. Again, as I said, they're never ending. It's not like it's one big, you know, year that you're experiencing. But I decided to kind of use that framework for the book. And then, uh, as you also said, then give each each month, you know, resilience or failure or security or commitment um, to, to kind of pack the seasons, you know, with what I think were the, the things that typically are going on in that kind of stage. Frankly, it also gave me um, an organizational structure for the book. It gave a, 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 an overall kind of narrative arc, mm-hmm. but it also allowed me to organize all of my research. I started literally by just write, reading everything I could on the era, on the you know the writings, who were the important players. I mean, I knew Emerson and, and Thoreau, um, and and there are works of fiction that we were all asked to read, but I dug into their letters and their journals and, and, you know, really obscure folks. It was very important for me to find, um, and bring forward some of the, the female voices, um, from that era that, uh, as, as you might suspect, didn't really get a lot of pub or, or mm-hmm. um, exposure. And in, in really doing that, I kind of immediately saw the sort of the immensity of the job was like, how am I going to organize all this? You know, it also seemed to me, that this book might have actually taken you longer than any other book you've written. Was that true by any chance? You know, it it, it did not. Because um, <laughs> I was just thinking about all the source material you had to go through, and then you had to organize it and get it, still get it out into 366 different ideas. Yeah, I, I, I guess in hindsight, you know, I, I kind of jokingly tell people I've been working on this book for 30 years. Okay. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, the actual one side kind of, decided I was going to do this, um, signed the contract, uh, literally from signing the contract to the book uh, being published was 15 months. And, you know, that's not absurdly long for a traditionally published book these days. Mm-hmm. But I will say this, I spent more time in that period. <laughs> uh. You know, in some of my other books, you know, I basically was saying, here's this concept, here's what I do, here's what you might want to do. It worked for me, <laughs> you know, and I could write twenty thousand words, you know, in a in a, in a weekend maybe, um, doing that. In fact, I wrote duct tape marketing essentially over four three day weekends because I was essentially just talking about here, you know, here's what I do. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but this book, I mean, the most I could write in a day, I, I think my record was a thousand words. And now, you know, there's about two hundred words on a page, so you know, five or six pages was. All I could do because it turns out that it's actually harder to write short passages than it is to <laughs> yes. write 2,000 words about whatever. <laughs> yes, yes, I think so. And that's why I, I sometimes when I get the shorter books, yeah. uh, they seem to be even – I have greater admiration just because it's uh, – I don't can, I can never remember who said it's something about I would have written you a shorter letter, but I didn't have time. So I wrote you a long one. Yeah, this is our friend Mark Twain. Mark Twain, Okay. Um, he, I'm sure yeah. he said it more artfully, and you do quote him in the book. I do, I do. He actually falls just a hair out of the the true range of this, but there are a couple authors that were very influenced by the transcendentalists, and Mark Twain was one. Another was a woman named Willa Cather. Yeah, 
uh, quote quite a bit. I had an editor one time that I, I always think about this, uh, this term that he used, but he would, when, when I went on about something or I didn't get to the point, he would always say, there's a whole lot of throat clearing uh, in your writing. Today. <laughs> Ouch. It's like they say, kill your darlings. <laughs> or is it Stephen King who said that something? So I want to go back to something we started to touch on earlier, but I'd like you to explain, you talk about these idea that runs through the all the works that you've curated, that individuals possess self-knowledge that transcends what they might see and hear from others around them. So is that talking about separating the signal from the noise, not being so influenced by what seems to be the norm? Yeah, I think very much. I mean, and it, and it kind of also dives into this idea that that every human being is unique. There are no two human beings that are alike, but there are also no extra pieces in the universe. You know, we're all here really to fulfill some, and it doesn't have to be what others would call grand, but we are here to, to fill, you know, some mission. And so I think that, you know, you think about all the people that, that get talked into, oh no, you're meant to be a doctor, you know, <laughs> or mm -hmm. you're, you know, meant to be this. And I think a lot of people, you know, get that kind of shoved into their brain and that that's, you know, they just feel like that's the only path. But, but I think, you know, Emerson particularly was, was saying is that, you know, our job really is to find why we're supposed to be here, what we are meant uh, to accomplish. And that that's a job that, you know, just comes by experiencing things, but comes by staying curious, comes by actually looking for, you know, what that purpose is. And it's not, you know, it's not something that you, you know, you sit in a room and, and over a weekend, you know, with your team, you know, you come up with, yes, here's the purpose of our business. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's much more about something that you experience and, and you ultimately, you know, come to by kind of staying true to your core values. Mm -hmm. So related to that, how, or I don't know, maybe it's too early to tell, but how do different age groups mm. uh, respond to some of the ideas that you uh, are talking about in the book. Yeah. So one of the things that I did because this book was going to be so different for me is I actually, as I started to write, I started sending out to people that I, I wanted their opinions. You know, first I wanted to say, am I, am I crazy? <laughs> Should I not be writing this? Is this dumb? Um, you know, like a lot of authors go through that uh, phase. And I was really, it was really curious uh, that because I did, you know, I'm a baby boomer. I send it out to people of my age and, and, and then I also sent it out to uh, millennials and uh, people in their 30s, and they both responded very positively, but for different reasons. I found that that uh, probably no surprise, older generation was like, "Yeah, this this gets me to think about, you know, what what impact I'm having. You know, is is it, you know, is does what I'm doing mean anything? <laughs> you know, like I mean, which is sometimes a you know a common uh, way to think, you know, as you start to get a little older. But I was equally encouraged by folks in their thirties who said, you know what, this is what I need because, you know, I need somebody to tell me I got it. You know, that, that this is almost like, you know, this book is almost like mentoring me, um, in a way to, to help me kind of think through some stuff that I've not experienced yet in my life. Mm -hmm. So when I read a book, I learn so much. It's like spending a real intense period of time with the author, but I can only imagine what it's like writing the darn thing. <laughs> and I'm yeah. wondering what, are there, are there any things that surprised you or that you learned while writing this or, or the things that revealed themselves to you? 
Yeah, it, it was like uh, not you know first it started as kind of a masters in uh, you know mid nineteenth century uh, transcendental literature. You know? Right. So that was the intense part, but then. You know, you think about it, uh, how much time I, t- I talked about spending in the, the sort of intense and sometimes personal nature of what I wrote. You know, I really did feel like, and I, I remember commenting numerous times to my wife that, I, you know, I just felt like this book was changing me in some ways. And, you know, this is – the reason I wrote this book is because, you know, some – about the time I turned 35, you know, I feel like I went on this journey of self-discovery and that I've – this has been a you know, important – topic to me to, you know, to constantly be working on myself. And so to, to kind of compile, you know, that sort of journey into, you know, six months of writing, um, it was pretty intense. Um, and, and it's sometimes exhausting, quite frankly, but I I think the, the, the ultimate impact that I'm feeling, you know, from, you know, spending the time with that is I feel like it, it, kind of helped reignite my relationship with my business, with what I'm doing, you know, that, you know, I've been doing for a long time, but I'm still excited about it. It still brings me joy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it also, I won't say redefine my definition of success, but really locked in my definition of success. And, and, you know, I care less today about, you know, do I have followers here? Did, you know, I get noticed on that? You know, mm-hmm. am I getting credit for you know what I did? And more just about how each day uh, feels. Yeah, well, and it also brought to mind something for me. I'm not a member of your duct tape uh, consultants network, but it, it made me think that it might even give you a perspective into their lives and how they're, uh, it's helping them, but it's also helping their customers and it's helping their lives and, and all that type of thing. Yeah, and at the risk of sounding terribly self-serving as as the author, I, I have had numerous people tell me, yeah, you know, I'm going to use this as a workbook with my clients because all we ever talk about is, you know, the stuff. And what if I actually use this as a way to not only suggest, hey, this, you know, make a better you, <laughs> you know, we'll make a better business, but as a way to kind of facilitate discussions. My wife and I read this uh, in the morning now, and and between you and me, Doug's, um, she has not been interested in my other books. Um, yeah, <laughs> so, it's only recently uh, you told her what line of work you're in, right? Exactly. Um, but this we've actually enjoyed, and, and that you know sometimes she's like, "Oh, you're full of it," you know. I mean, um, when when we read a passage, but you know there are a lot of times where it's you know it's just given us something to kind of mutually uh, talk about how we think about or feel about a certain aspect. And, you know, when you've been doing something for a while, um, sometimes you forget that that's, that that's the real important stuff to talk about. Mm -hmm. So your wife tells you you're full of it. I'm wondering, are we married to the same woman? (laughs) (laughs) So I, the, the thing that occurred to me is that you kind of had to pour your heart and soul out onto each one of these pages because it was based on a lot of your own, life's experience and work, and it brought to mind that Ernest Hemingway quote about writing, where he said, there is nothing to writing. All you do is sit down at a typewriter and bleed. (laughs) He also said, uh, uh, write drunk, edit sober, um, which is probably my favorite. Oh, man, I've been doing that wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this book definitely, um, you know, like it or not, and, and I don't know if I could have written this book 10, 15 years ago. No, I don't think um, so. Because, yeah, I really don't. Um, and and um, it definitely has, you know, you you will know a lot about John Jantz if you read this book. <laughs> like, But I will say this. Here's the interesting thing that I've really enjoyed is that 
every single person will read this page and get something different. Every page. It won't mean the same thing to two people because, you know, I talk about this. It's sort of ironic writing a book to tell you how to be self-reliant <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, the self part is totally on you. And and that's that's the thing. I mean, yes, if I read this, there are some things that I feel are highly personal. Somebody else might read that and not, you know, got, not get that feeling at all um, because it really is uh, one of the things that, that I did. Uh, from a, um, a a style decision very early on is it is all first person plural. I don't say I think you should do this <laughs> anywhere in the book, or at least if my editor uh, didn't catch it, you know, you might find one. But my intent was that that I am a member of the audience. I wrote this book to me um, as much as I did to you know every other entrepreneur out there in the world or every person in the world. And so you know. Uh, the voice of the book is I I walk along the reader as a member of the audience. Yes, there's a certain vulnerability and and, and honesty uh, to all of it, and you, you manage the expectations right up front. For me, the book is, and this is a metaphor you may not have heard, and maybe you'll never hear it again, but it's like a marinade. So <laughs> you you just don't read the whole thing, but no. read read it every day or as often as you as you're so inspired because uh, and then you can keep reading it over and over and over again and that's why it's going to be it's got a place next to the uh, Ryan Holiday's da- daily stoic which greets me every day the other thing though years ago when I was younger and all my friends uh, were you know they're having uh, their first kids or they're they're having children i would give them a book and the book, for the longest time, I would give them was the Book of Virtues, which is a yeah, stories. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it might have been 20, 30 years ago. And it was very popular. And they, they would read it to their kids, and it was great. And I, I, we got it well, when, my, uh, when our kids were born. And so when I have a friend who's going off to start their business, to start their own business, you know, and it's really kind of a, looking back, it's what a milestone in somebody's in work life. This is the gift uh, they're going to get for me, and if more than one person gives it to them, they're going to know they're going to meet other entrepreneurs they can give it to. So, I think that's beautiful, Doug. I'm I'm still having trouble getting past the visual of the book sitting in some soy sauce. Yeah, well, no, it, it's it's Italian dressing, but um, <laughs> but I had the whole thing laminated. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Peter Knox at Wiley, he sent me a special edition. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So. Let's read one more, but not just any old day. Let's read April 2nd, which is John Jance's birthday. And the reason I want to do April 2nd is because it's John Jance's birthday. But also, if anyone listening to this remembers, and it happens to be April 2nd, I hope you'll reach out on social media and wish John Jance a happy birthday. I think that's brilliant. That's why I also put in there, author's note, today is my birthday. So, well, happy birthday to me. So... Anybody who's got the book will will be able to to find that uh, on April second. I, I actually did a little um, kind of other Easter egg thing in this book. I have four daughters. Um, they have obviously been a big part not only of my life but of the words in this book. And so uh, on their respective birthdays, uh, they actually did the reflection that day. Wow! Yeah, yeah. So nice work it. putting the kids to work. That's right. <laughs> exactly. It only me. I was like. Yes, 362 to go. So go ahead, April, uh, April, April 2nd. 2nd. The light of love. It is to the credit of human nature that except where it is selfishness is brought into play, it loves more readily than it hates. Hatred by a gradual and quiet process will even be transformed to love 
unless the change be impeded by a continually new irritation of the original feeling of hostility. And that's from Nathaniel Hawthorne's The Scarlet Letter, 1850. In your entrepreneurial journey, there will always be a tremendous raging conflict between your head and your heart. Your head will ask, why is this so hard? Why don't people understand? Why must I go back and do this all over again today? Ah, but your heart, when given the proper space, will readily answer what I must learn today to move forward, who I must meet today in support of the cause, and how I can greet each day with a fresh point of view. This conflict will carry on until you decide which one to listen, obey. The heart is seen romantically, philosophically, and metaphysically as the place where the flame of love is sparked and kept burning. Sure, love is often portrayed in the metaphorical sense or the greeting card sense, but like love, the entrepreneurial flame is kept alive in our heartfelt passions, particularly in the times it seemed darkest. Your heart is your compass. Passion, love for the day-to-day needs of your dream requires incredible strength to hold and shape. Keeping the flame of love for your business alive will require you to step back and, by a gradual and quiet process, imprint what you love about your business firmly in your heart. Then, and only then, can you go about steadily getting very, very good at doing what you love. Your challenge question What do you love most about your entrepreneurial journey? And that one got me thinking, too. (sighs) Jance, Jance. So if readers took only one thing away from the book after they've spent a year with it, what would you hope it would be? My real hope is that, that, that they would find themselves being far more mindful of the present moment. And I know that's a really popular thing to say, but we spend a lot of time creating our future you know, by bringing the past into our present. What I mean by that is that, you know, we're constantly thinking, oh, I know how this picture is going to play out. You know, I never get this job. I never get this, you know, kind of thing. And so we actually are creating our future. And I think if we were able to, to stay as focused on the present moment as possible, uh, we'd start saying, okay, this thing happened for a reason. You know, what was that reason? <laughs> How can I see that as an opportunity? So that's that's the one thing that I hope people get the most. And, I, you know, that's not new. Most listeners will say, yeah, I've heard that before. But that's why I think this format is so important is because that's not something that you just decide to do. <laughs> that's something that you start to witness how it's showing up in your life. You you stick with a book like this or some practice or habit like this, and, and you start gradually chipping away at the things that are not serving um, so that, you know, that to me is what I hope after a year. Um, but I also think that experience tells me that, uh, if you read this for a year and you come back to, uh, November 15th, I think it is, you know, a year from now, you're going to be a different person. And that reading is going to mean something entirely different to you. Yes. And you know, that challenge question that you just read days, weeks could go by before I would ever think about what do you love most about your entrepreneurial journey? And just knowing that is yep. it's it's so loaded with with benefits as well as adjustments that you could be making. Yep. So, are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or looking forward to reading? Well, you bet. So, um, 
a friend of mine, Chase Jarvis, who I met uh, as he was getting started with Creative Live, um, has a book called Creative Calling, Establish a Daily Practice, Infuse Your World with Meaning and Succeed in Work and Life, uh, number one. Number two, um, our mutual friend, David Meerman Scott, who uh, really kind of wrote his first book probably about almost the exact same time Duct Tape Marketing came out, has another book that, that – really infuses some of his previous work with kind of his his lifelong personal passion um, uh, as a fan of uh, a couple musical bands um, called fanocracy so those are uh, those are two that that I would share with your listeners mm. and chase Jarvis is, is his a daily uh, book as well no it's not he, he talks about uh, the, the the routines to establishing a daily practice but it is uh, more a typical kind of chapter by chapter book Oh, okay, super. Well, and I, I'll add to that about David Murray and Scott. I've read his book, and I've already interviewed him, and we're holding that interview until January when the book comes out, and uh, it's it's absolutely fantastic. So I'm glad you mentioned that. So at marketingbookpodcast.com, we're going to include links to your site and your social media, as well as the the page on your site that's all about this book, where you can get some free uh, you know samples and so forth. You can click through there and and buy it. I do hope that listeners will uh, reach out to you on LinkedIn because uh, we're going to have that link there. And and thank you for coming back on the show for the fourth time because you would think that John Jantz would know after three interviews that, you know, this is kind of tiresome. His, his jokes aren't that funny, but yet he still comes back. So I appreciate that. And uh, I mean, just think about the listeners, John. Think about what they have to listen to every... <laughs> fact that you've built, you know, the the listenership that you have now is testament to, to what a service and value you provide for, for both authors and uh, uh, folks that, that are trying to figure out what to read. Well, it's my pleasure, and I think I'm getting more out of it than anyone else because I just enjoy doing it so much. And okay. for you, dear listener, if you're listening on your smartphone and you subscribe to the Marketing Book Podcast on your favorite podcast app, all these links can be found right now by going to this episode and clicking on the show notes link. The name of the book is The Self-Reliant Entrepreneur, 366 Daily Meditations to Feed Your Soul and Grow Your Business. The author is John Jantz. John, thank you very much for returning to the Marketing Book Podcast. Always fun, Douglas. And that closes the book on episode 253 of the Marketing Book Podcast. For more, check out this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other helpful resource for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. Special thanks to our sponsor, Blinkist, to support the Marketing Book Podcast and start your free Blinkist trial or get 20% off your yearly plan. Visit Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast. I also have a link to the special offer at MarketingBookPodcast.com. And please join us next time as we welcome Jill Soley to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about the new book she has co-authored with Todd Wilms, Beyond Product. How Exceptional Founders Embrace Marketing to Create and Capture Value for Their Business. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. This episode was produced by Amanda Harrison. I didn't say this on the show. I have said this on some shows. I think we're at a similar time culturally and politically, <laughs> quite frankly, as we were in 1850 on the cusp of the Civil War. Of major, major change. 
Yeah, and just the divide, you know, that that exists in this country. I mean, I, I, and and you know, there are historic historians and and researchers that write about this, like every fourth generation, you know, you kind of have this like upheaval, you know, period. And I, I think, I think Gen Z is is going to be, you know, the next sort of like sixties, you know, kids saying, you know, it enough, you know, coming. So that's just my take. So I feel like there's an openness to kind of this literature or this this writing that I've done in this book, frankly, or at least I'm hearing that from some folks. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 